Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Villanova Basketball Report. It's live here on Bob Long Sports. My name is Bob Long, and we have a very, very special group of guests here this evening. We have Kevin Long in the studio with us, as always. Kevin, good to see you, and it is Holy War Week officially. Yeah, Bob, I'm excited to do this, uh, this version of Bob Long Sports here uh, with the St. Joe's representative. Uh, we're really excited to, uh, to get, get down to this next hour of uh, talking here. Yes, the gentleman to our left here in the studio that is wearing the St. Joe's red with the Hawk Proudly is Tony Morelli. He is of Radio 1851. He's a grad student at St. Joseph's University, still on the track team over there. And they do a tremendous job. We were connected by a mutual friend of ours, one Mr. Tom O'Kane, who... Uh, was with the St. Joe's track program for a long time. So we appreciate Tom for putting us together, and we appreciate Tony coming on. This is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to go through the rivalry, the history, uh, go through the starting five in terms of if you had to put the best five on the floor from any generation of both teams. And, of course, a little bit of bragging uh, on both sides and uh, trash talk about what's going to happen on Saturday, a tip-off at Finneran Pavilion between the two programs. Tony, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate you guys inviting me on to the show. It's going to be a good one for sure. I'm going to, I'm going to really illustrate why St. Joe's program was very close to Villanova's for many years until about 2012 when the other program started <laughs> pulling away. But, you know, there's got to be a voice for St. Joseph's at, at some point on this Villanova show. So I'm very excited. Glad you guys can bring me out here today. We are men of the people, Tony. We're here to hear all sides. <laughs> we also have a gentleman over in the Baltimore County area. Kevin McClernand is with us. Kevin, welcome back to the show. Great to have you. You're going to be our distinguished uh, trivia question deliverer. So I hope you're ready with that, but also excited to hear your thoughts on the Cats and St. Joe's. Oh, yeah. Ready, ready to go. <laughs> Always ready. So again, the Villanova Basketball Reports live here on Bob Long Sports. Every Monday night, we go live at about 7 o'clock p.m. and talk about the Cats. Uh, the first thing we'll talk about is the Villanova Wildcats and their tough win against LaSalle University, a team that hasn't won a game this year. Coached by Ashley Howard, former Villanova assistant as of just last year. Three guys that they expected to be in the starting lineup at the start of the year for LaSalle were not dressed and were not playing on Saturday. Didn't really affect that LaSalle output, however. Took Villanova right to the brink. They led by 12 at one point in the first half. Villanova really struggled defensively. Gave up 42 points in about the first 16 minutes of action. Kevin Long, what did you see from the Palestra? Yeah, I mean, you said it best, you know, missing three of their starters, uh, an 0-17 to start the year. Uh, it was really quite a disappointing win, even for Villanova um, in that game uh, yesterday. But, you know, some of the guys were getting meaningful minutes. Uh, you know, I was a little encouraged by uh, Joe Cremo playing a little more. It seems like Jay Wright's starting to figure out his rotations a little bit. Uh, Jermaine Samuels has started to find himself a seat on the bench, unfortunately. Uh, you know, it looked like he was going to have a promising start to the year, but he has really uh, seen his minutes reduced over the past couple games here. Um, so I think Jay is really starting to find his rotation. Demir didn't play the minutes that he usually does. Uh, Sadiq Bey is, is getting good minutes every single game now, 30-plus minutes a game. Um, so <clears throat> I think he's just starting to find it a little bit. Uh, and as these guys get accustomed to playing with each other a little bit more, I expect to see them play a little better. 
Okay, Tony, so from the St. Joe's side, you see a LaSalle versus Saint, uh, versus Villanova game, I should say. Uh, that game ended probably 15 minutes before your game started, yep. but uh, a struggle for the Wildcats. So what do you take away from a game like that? What I take away is I'm looking at the rosters right now, and LaSalle played you with a seven-man rotation <laughs> and yet held on to a team that is the returning champions. I would be worried. Not too much, but a little bit that a seven-man rotation. You had Pascal playing 40 minutes that night, too, to, to quell a struggling A-10 team from a struggling mid-major conference, I would say. But, um, you know, I, the, the one takeaway is I wish that St. Joe's and Temple were up in the Palestra 15 minutes afterwards like it used to yeah, be in the good old that's days. that's for sure. But, I mean, win's a win. You, you can't complain about that. But what we can agree about is your exact point about the Palestra and, and wish that uh, certainly you could have all the games in there. We'll talk about that over the course of the show as well. But you guys had a big game yourself. Yep. had a chance to dissect the film. You guys had a lead, a big lead on Temple in the first half. Gave it away in the second half. The three ball just wasn't dropping, and I thought they were probably a little bit more hoist-oriented uh, shots rather than a little dribble drive, a kick yeah. to, to you know step into an open three. There was a lot less of that in the second half. Now for you, what do you take away from that? I take away the fact that for the first 10 minutes of the second half, we scored six points or eight points after leading with an eight-point lead. It's not a def- that was not a defensive issue at all because you know Temple only scored 15 to maybe 16 points in that time span of 10 minutes. That's an offensive problem. And when Phil comes out and touts a roster that is veteran leadership and is going to shoot the three and score it's disappointing to look at, especially when, as I've been saying on my show all year, we don't have a set offense. It seems a lot of high pick and roll, a lot of passing around the arc to break a 2-3 zone, which worked against West Virginia, The you know, the press and the 3-2 uh, zone that's like infamous with um, West Virginia. But it when the shots don't fall and you don't have a set play and your, your senior point guard goes, I think it was like Five for 16 that night, it really shows that you got to have some set plays. And I don't think Phil has designed any struggle. So it'll be certainly an interesting week as you gather and prepare for a Villanova game on Saturday, which is our feature topic for today. It's time for the opening tip here on the Villanova Basketball Report. That topic today is solely the Holy War. The Holy War between Villanova and St. Joseph's, a tremendous rivalry, and we're excited for it here in the studio. We're going to start with Kevin McClernand on this one from Baltimore. Your initial thoughts on this game for this weekend? Yeah, I mean, after these these last games this weekend, uh, it's going to be a lot closer uh, than I thought. And, uh, I mean, Villanova just did not look good against LaSalle, and I will not be surprised if St. Joseph's comes out with a win. Okay. Is that a Charlotte Hornets hat? Uh, by the way, I'm sorry that this is a little off topic, but what are you wearing there? It, it is a Charlotte Hornets hat. That's correct. Yep. All right. Well, we'll see, uh, we'll see when the next time is that we go back to you for a comment. All right. Well, my, my thought on this one is that I think it can be a very close game. Obviously, LaSalle played Villanova in that way. You know, this is a Villanova team that in so many ways is still evolving. Four guys go to the NBA, and it's not an excuse for Ashley Howard and LaSalle holding Villanova in check and really exploiting them defensively. But just to put it as it is, Villanova's defense isn't ready yet. We've seen flashes. They looked very good defensively in the Advocare Invitational, specifically against Florida State when the three ball wasn't falling. But 
there are issues and Villanova at times isn't even getting back defensively. And that's a concern for me as they take on a St. Joseph's team that you watch that Temple game. This team loves to create possessions and loves to get out on the run very, very quickly. At times I would argue, and we'll get Tony's thought on this, that they take some ill-advised shots just by the fact that they're running up and down the floor and whether it's fresh Kimball or whoever it may be, uh, that they're firing shots up early. So I think that's something that, you know, Villanova is going to have to watch out for uh, against St. Joe's. How can their transition defense effectively counter St. Joe's ability to run? Tony, what do you think? What I see is two players on St. Joe's, Charlie Brown, who's eighth or ninth in the NCAA in scoring this year, and Jared Bynum, who has the best assist-to-turnover ratio in all of the NCAA, and he's only a, a true freshman. Yeah. And so when you mentioned defense for Villanova, St. Joe's takes care of the ball. They're eighth in the country at with regards to turnovers, like least amount of turnovers. Eight a game. So yeah. if, you're gonna t- if, we're, if you're not going to get back on defense if you're Villanova, St. Joe's is not going to try to press the ball and, like, throw a pass out of bounds because they're trying to push it too much. It's a calculated push. It's one that is not out of control. The shots might not be the best right. shots, but when it comes to if you bring a full court press against them, they can get that across the court no problem. And so it is going to be, can you get a hand in someone's face? Because that has clearly been the issue for St. Joe's. It's the streaky shooting when there's late arriving defenders and that will be the key mm-hmm. you know if you can't get back are you going to show a little effort put a hand in someone's face make sure that there's no just wide open threes because then taylor funk a struggling power forward might be able to get going even though he went three uh, three for 12 last night but he's much better than that you can't you cannot let him heat up if you're villanova yeah you mentioned the eight uh, turnovers per game and i found that very interesting I say this half in jest, but I wonder if the reason they're not turning the ball over is because they're coming down the floor and hoisting shots very quickly. It's definitely that. (laughs) Doesn't give them the chance to turn it over. But my key for Villanova, I'll go to Kevin on this one, my key is Villanova's ability to score. And this is not going to be rocket scientists, but hear uh, hear me out on this one. In terms of defensively, they set up that three-quarters court press, a press that's not set up to actually elicit turnovers. If it happens, great. But truly, it's to make the other team work and labor to get across midcourt and then set up the midcourt, the, really the half-court offense, rather than any type of running-type offense, get down the floor quickly. And then the team has to make a decision when they have 21, 17 seconds left on the shot clock before they ever really get into their offensive set. I think that's the key for Villanova, whether you know they can score and set up the three-quarters court press, but how often they'll be able to, even on a miss, at least try to have some semblance of that full court pressure to slow down this St. Joe's running attack. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're not going to be able to set that up unless they're able to score. And I mean, whether or not it's all that effective in the first place is, you know, up for debate. It's a discussion for another day. Uh, but yeah, no, they, they definitely need to be able to score more. They need to take good shots. Uh, we've talked about it in our last show here, talking about Phil Booth and Eric Pascal even at times taking, um, you know, not the best shots. And they're they're good players. They're the best players on this team. Eric Pascal has developed his game. I think Phil Booth has developed his shot as well. Uh, he's he's definitely struggling to start this year off. And 
the majority of the reason is because he's just taking bad shots. We've seen Phil play well. We've seen him play well with other guys around him. You know, he was a true sophomore in the 2016 National Championship. Mm -hmm. he, he had over 20 points in that game. So, obviously, he has the ability to do it. It's just whether or not he's in the right frame of mind, taking the right shots, uh, and that's the difference for him. And, and, obviously, they need to get the other guys going. Um, you know, Cole Swider was uh, – you know, maybe had four minutes in that game against LaSalle. Like we talked about last week, he should be one of their best shooters, and uh, he's kind of gone missing over the past week here. Uh, so the Villanova really needs to get their shooters uh, shooting a little bit and, and scoring better for sure. They uh, really struggled at that end against LaSalle. Once again, we're here on the Villanova basketball report. Uh, Bob Long, Kevin Long, we have Kevin McClernand in Baltimore and Tony Morelli on with us of Tony's Takes Radio 1851 on St. Joseph's campus and excited to have him in the studio with us. Tony, one topic I really wanted to get to with you was the offensive style of St. Joe's. And you touched on it a little bit in your opening comments, but for the folks that are Villanova fans that are watching our show and don't know a lot about the new Look Hawks team, what is the offensive idea and theory behind how they they go about executing. It is what I call the Steph Curry effect, and it's what <laughs> the Houston Rockets have done to relate to those who might have watched the NBA and know what they're like. It's, you know, a ball-dominant guard in Fresh Kimball, a veteran who sets a lot of high pick-and-rolls with Taylor Funk and Long Pre, two uh, sophomores, I believe, who are big men around 6'8", 6'9", can shoot. If it's a high pick-and-roll, they, they can slip out into a flat if they're playing a zone and shoot a good mid-range shot. And then there's Charlie Brown, who if you are watching and you need to keep an eye on this guy, he is cutting the baseline all the time. They are finding him in between uh, zones. If he's playing against man, he's quick. He can get off his guy with an off-ball screen. Uh, he hits the lane very well. Not as well as I would like from a small forward. I wish he would slash a little bit harder in the paint, um, especially driving the lane. But I think that his ability to shoot and um, shoot off the dribble is very strong. He's a star. I think not this year. But definitely next year will be a strong NBA candidate. And I can see him testing the NBA Combine this year without signing an agent. So he's still eligible. But that's, I mean, the identity is run and gun, high pick and roll, and finding shooters that are placed along the arc. If things aren't looking good, they'll just swing the ball back and forth and someone will get open. Uh, they'll make you play man to man with the shooting. That's pretty much it. Yeah. St. Joe's didn't run that high ball screen that, as much against Temple as, as I expected yeah. from what I've seen in years past. Villanova's really struggled defensively against the high ball screen, even when they were winning national championships. And now you have a much less experienced group of guys, uh, a guy in Demir Cosby Roundtree who's still having trouble guarding the outside. And I think that that's a way that St. Joe's could exploit Villanova in this weekend's matchup. The other thing I'm not sure of is how Villanova offensively is going to react when St. Joe's switches up the defenses. And you mentioned St. Joe's seeing zones versus man-to-man. -man. What I think St. Joe's does very well is they have an affinity and they have an ability to very quickly change, even from possession to possession, zone, man-to-man, -man, back to zone. And I worry... Let's go Kevin McClernand on this one about if uh, if the zone is being employed by St. Joe's and if Villanova gets, with especially a lot of young guys, a little too, um, you know, a little too comfortable just firing over top of the zone. Yeah, and we've seen that already this year that, I mean, especially in the first game uh, Villanova played, I mean, being that they are a new team together, losing all those four guys, that 
I mean, they settle for a lot of long shots. And against the zone, I mean, they're going to struggle, I think, um, and settle for a lot of long shots. Uh, Phil Booth, especially, I think is going to be taking a lot of 20, 25-footers uh, in this game if they play zone. Kevin McLaren down there in Baltimore. Excited to hear from uh, him, as always, on our show here. Bob Long in studio along with Kevin Long and Tony Morelli. So it's been pretty tame thus far, gentlemen. I, I think I, I've been impressed by that. But, Tony, I, I know you're, uh, I've heard a couple of your shows, so I feel like you, you may have some uh, interior thoughts deep down about Villanova. Anything you'd like to share and, and, and flesh out here as we conclude our or get towards the end of our opening tip segment? Yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll have your blood boiling a little bit with a couple of my All ideas. Right. One is I there was a point in time back in 2006 after the infamous run for St. Joe's and the number one overall seed, Jameer Nelson and Delonte West, where St. Joe's actually put a bid in to join the Big East, but Villanova denied them because they didn't want to share the market. And, you know, mm -hmm. my question is, are you afraid of us? Are you afraid of the competition? I mean, it really hasn't been that close. Uh, Seton Hall and St. John's, they share the New York market. Mm -hmm. Philadelphia is the fourth largest media market in America. We could easily share the Philadelphia market. And I think that St. Joe's, out of all the A-10 teams, is the one that would best be suited for joining the Big East. We would be like Seton Hall. I mean, come on, you're not scared of Seton Hall. No. when they beat you that one year, that was important. <laughs> they actually have been tough, I tell you. They have been tough. Uh, my thought on that, Tony, is... Uh, anytime that you have uh, a team that wants to join a conference, you need to show that that team is not only going to bring in enough revenue that, that is going to make it worthwhile, increase the revenue, you got to increase the relative revenue for per school. So if each school, let's just say round numbers, is making $5 million a year off the conference television revenue, and there's 10 teams, so you're making $50 million, can St. Joe's bring in $6 million? additional through a new contract whenever that new contract negotiation comes up is that 11th team in this case into the big east going to make that much of a difference not just for villanova but for seton hall and for providence and for marquette and for depaul my answer to that is no i mean i i my answer is that i don't know the answer but that there were attorneys and school administrators across all the conf all the schools within the conference and those school presidents said no, not at this time. I don't even think does Seton Hall bring in that much money for the conference? Are there they're, that, they're, they're a, that much? They're an original member. Yeah. Well, my thing is, I think we could. PJ Carlissimo coached that team. I mean, Providence. What are they doing right now? They're actually improving, but that's back to the days of, of Patino. Even I mean, these programs, these Big East programs, have a ton of history. Uh, in order to bring somebody else in right now, I think that would take a lot. And no disrespect, but I think the next school would be, in terms of a team that would come in and share a market, would probably be University of Connecticut. Coming back to the Big East, they have that history within the Big East and uh, their football. They could find another place to play and, uh, and join as a, you know all-sports member besides football. I, I think that would be first in the Big East, in all honesty. Especially with Hurley. I think he's going to do a good job over at UConn. Yeah. They're, they're a program to watch for sure. Um, my, I mean, my only rebuttal is I think we – you could. The amount of national televised games we're playing this year has increased. We're playing around the 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. So that's the only upside I could bring to this conversation if we're going to talk dollars and cents is we are getting national recognition. We are a team that has put players in the NBA and can draw with a, a little bit of star. I think Charlie Brown would be a star if he was on a couple more national games. I mean, he just plays electric. It's small forward position. Wings are exciting to watch. That's the only thing I can draw. We'd have to have a consistent 
team like we have this year and not underperform, which we're clearly doing right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be that the networks, that's another very interesting thing besides St. Joe's and Villanova and all the teams that are in the Big East. Just generally, what's the future of television broadcast rights? Is it going to remain on the... The cable networks, is that going to be the extent of it? Or is there a conference that's at the forefront and goes with the digital media-only presence? I don't know when that would be, which conference that would be. Probably wouldn't be a major conference. Perhaps that's something that would make sense for something like the A-10. If there's a fledgling network that's really starting to build itself, needs some programming, maybe a conference like the A-10 could take a chance and a a network on them, vice versa. And really to have that digital-only presence I think that'll reshape the entire television formatting, programming, and uh, contract market. So yeah. it's, a, it's a very interesting discussion. Okay, that's a good one. Anything else? You're, <laughs> we, other, we want to give you the floor here. I'll give you one more. I'll give you one more before we, we end this segment, I guess, is the Palestra. You've mentioned it earlier. Yep. Villanova was the first one to break away from the tradition, and now no yep. one in the Big Five plays every game there. Right. Sal used up a home game to play at the Palestra, um, something that I like. We're playing uh, St. Joe's personally is playing University of Chicago, uh, Loyola Chicago at the yeah. Palestra, which is going to be a very exciting game. It's one of the most storied franchises, and not me on my show, but per- my my co-host personally has said that when he goes to Villanova, Villanova games at the Wells Fargo Center, sometimes the upper level isn't full all the way. That's true. And so it's twenty thousand really, people in that venue. It's tough to tough it, to fill. And then why build, you know, that arena on the campus too? Then you know, if you're going to play all your games at the Wells Fargo, why invest that money in a, a like a home arena like the Pavilion? Is my question. If you you know, Kevin Long, you want that? I mean, they don't they don't play um, every game at the well. They only did that during the construction. Okay, so yeah. will they be playing more games at the Pavilion this year for sure? Well, more so than last year, but there's still, I believe they have six games at the Wells Fargo. So, I mean, you know, 20,000-seat stadium, obviously difficult to fill. Um, 6,500 seats at the Pavilion. Just gives them a little more opportunity to, to make additional revenue by going to the Wells Fargo. Obviously, they have to share some of that, but by bringing in some additional ticket sales at the Wells Fargo, I think it makes sense. But I, I think there's a point to that, you know. Um, you're playing six games at the Wells Fargo. Why invest all that money in the pavilion? Why, you know, why not say now we're playing all of our games at the pavilion? We just put in fifty plus million dollars into our new stadium here. We're playing every single game here. It's our state of the art stadium. This is what we're proud of. Um, so I think there's some legitimacy to you know why are we not playing every single game at the pavilion at this point? Yeah, well, <laughs> Tony, you've hit a little bit of a nerve because. Um, <laughs> I understand that there were things in the Radnor, uh, you know, permit scene that it was very difficult for Villanova to to get their way in terms of additional seating. If they could have built in a ideal universe a nine thousand to ten thousand seat on campus arena, I think they would they could and should have played every single game there. I always said there's nothing wrong with a, a tough ticket every once in a while, and. That just builds the intrigue. It makes people want to go there. If there's the best game in the country, but there's 150,000 seats, you know that's not going to have the same atmosphere. People are going to be able to go on on the day of, buy tickets. I just love that ambiance of, oh, you got a ticket for the game? Oh, man, how did you get that type of thing? And I think the great thing about college basketball is when you go to all these storied um, you know, arenas, you're, you're right on the court 
with most of these stadiums, even if they're larger, like the 8,000, 9,000, you're very close to the players, more so than if you're playing at the Wells Fargo. You're a little bit more removed. It's like the NBA, it's like the Lakers, you know, they have the, the showtime. It's the, the floor is um, highlighted and everyone's kind of set back and the, you know, the lights are dark and everything. I, Hagen Arena is small, no doubt about it, but it's you're on top of the players. It's a lot of fun, and I think yep. the only the only reason why I have an issue with the the no playing games at the Palestra anymore was the fact that you guys were playing at Wells Fargo. All you had three, you were working three stadiums at once <laughs> in theory, and I understood why you got rid of the Palestra. But I think I would be more understanding if you had just played all your games at home when you had said that home court advantage was important to you. Not, you know, and I know there's big East implications with being at Wells Fargo with the Fox business deal. And they probably, it's easier to uh, film from there, but you know, from a small school, like mid major, (laughs) like me, it's, you know, it's a little insulting sometimes. (laughs) You do know the temple also plays some games at the Wells Fargo. And they have a brand new stadium too. That's huge. Relatively. Yeah. Yeah. Lee core center. Yeah. The, the only thing I need to just nudge to make sure I, I know what you're saying. Uh, because I know a lot of people around the Big Five have this opinion about Villanova quote-unquote broke up the Big Five when Roly Massimino stopped playing the Big Five games at the Palestra. He brought them home for the revenue impacts. So do you, Tony Morelli, and the St. Joe's community fault Villanova for, for that in general? 100%. Okay. There's no doubt in my mind. Can I offer a contour, a, a counter to that? Sure. Uh, let me ask years. you this. Villanova never exists. Okay. Drexel is the other team in the Big Five in this world. Are you telling me that without Villanova and without Roly Massimino, all five of those teams would still be playing games at the Palestra, would be giving up home gate revenue in this era of college basketball where dollars and cents count? You're talking about moving from the A-10 to the Big East. If that were to happen for St. Joe's, a big Part of that would be a financial component. Dollars and cents matter. Facilities matter. It helps recruiting. You're telling me over the next 30 years, not one of those five programs would have made the same decision Roly Massimino did? Have you ever seen Tom Golo Arena? I have. Okay, yeah, there you go. The Palestra is much nicer than what LaSalle even has at their, Correct. At their and program. And I, that's a, so I'm just thinking, that's a school, one, that would not break it up. I think the only one They'd that still w- make more money by having a game at Tom, Tom Gola than giving up part of the day. to Penn. Yeah. I still th- – well, and then you go to recruiting, right? Mm-hmm. I th- I think the Plester is a recruiting tool. It's, you know, one of the storied franchises. And I know kids are into the Instagram hype videos about, you know, they, they don't know about history as much, but there is history and it does, it does matter to people. I think people would be very interested. I think the fact that St. Joe's just plays Penn once a year at the Palestra is a draw for some mm-hmm. of these people because you have all the alumni coming out to those games. Even when it's a Penn away game, St. Joe's alumni will buy up the Palestra because it's just such a pool yeah. and the boosters matter. It's so, hey, listen. Yeah. It's the best venue in college basketball, maybe basketball period. But just to to lock you down here, the answer is yes. In that <laughs> theoretical situation, thirty years go by, the whole college basketball landscape changes. Not one of those five teams would have ever chosen to do it as it currently stands right now. St. Joe's played Temple at Hagen yesterday, so nobody else would have made that decision in thirty years if Roly Massimino didn't start it. It's trust. If you really think about it, it's like, do these teams trust each other to give up away games like that? Because once one school pulled out, you're right, everyone's like, okay, well, now now I'm not going to give up the advantage of home court. But I like to think so. You know, I have I have good intentions with people. We're, we're positive people at St. Joseph's. You know, we're not cynics. Um, I would say, you know, we look at the bright oh, side man. of life. We're humble, some would say. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great stuff. Uh, Kevin Long, Kevin McLernand, uh, any... 
long-standing thoughts, deep-seated opinions about either Villanova or St. Joe's or the Big Five as a whole as we, we continue to uncover all the rocks here? Let's start um, with Kevin Long. I guess uh, my, my only deep-seated thought would be, uh, you know, to those who'd say that Villanova's not a true Philly school. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> oh, my God. We don't have um, that long. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. I'm going to try to wrap this up quickly if I can. Um, I, you know, they, they play all their – well, last year they played all their home games at the Wells Fargo Center. You know, there's banners all around the city after they won their national titles. Uh, obviously, the city of Philadelphia is very proud of Villanova uh, that, you know, they're, they're a Philly school, in my opinion. Uh, I, I won't ask Tony's opinion because this will probably extend the show beyond our allotted hour here. Um, but I just wanted to, to say my piece about Villanova being considered one of the Philly schools. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, the, the City Line Avenue is quite the line of demarcation for the, the St. Joe's folks there that puts them just a couple, couple steps into Philadelphia and yeah, helps their bit. argument. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Kevin McLernand? Well, uh, they might not be cynics over at St. Joe's, but uh, I mean, Tony, you're just lying to yourself if you if you think they would all be playing the games there still. Um, I mean, 30 years have gone by. I, I think Temple would have been the one that would jump though in that 30 years. I think they would have been the first one. So he agrees with me on that one at least. But I said I also said Temple would have probably been the okay. other school that did it, especially with the yeah. American Conference. Yeah. No, I I think I think you're both right. I think Temple maybe would have started it. Yeah. Um, but then, again, you just keep peeling the onion. I think if there was no Villanova and no Temple, it would have been somebody else. And if you peel that, it all the way down. I don't the- know about that. Okay. I would disagree. I think the, the LaSalle and St. Joe's are so, like, there's, there's such smaller schools and tradition really matters when you only have basketball and we don't have national titles. We only have Final Four um, appearances, unfortunately. But, you know, those matter. LaSalle does, by the way. I, they have a national title. Yeah. Uh, you guys were tied with LaSalle for many years until 2012, as uh, my parents always remind me. 16, they, yeah. They yeah. were LaSalle grads, so they were all big Tom Gola fans. But I, I can't say that about St. Joe's pulling out. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm not going to indict my school like that. Not on I'll camera. I'll just blame Temple. Not yeah, on camera. <laughs> Uh, great start to this one here, guys. Tony, uh, I appreciate uh, your your willingness to really get into the deep topics. I had a great time. There's nothing like a good debate between two Philadelphia basketball schools. We'll be right back on the other side. This is Villanova Basketball Report live on Bob Long Sports. We have our whiteboard segment coming up. Dueling markers, dueling teams. We'll go through it all in terms of what we're looking for on Saturday afternoon. Stay right here. Welcome back to the Villanova Basketball Report here on Bob Long Sports. Bob Long, Kevin Long, we have Tony Morelli here with us, Radio 1851, St. Joseph's University grad student and varsity track athlete. He runs Tony's Takes, and as you see on the whiteboard behind us, we're very happy to welcome him into our studio here. He was nice enough to welcome me onto his show last Thursday evening, and we've been talking about this show for a while, Tony. I think the first couple segments went really well. The uh, little bit of the rivalry talk was good. The whiteboard discussion was really good, and now... Now it's time to talk about the all-timers, the all-time teams for both St. Joe's and Villanova. We're going to let our guests start first. The top five all-time St. Joseph's University team, plus a six-man, plus a head coach. <laughs> Very important. Let's hear it. So, number one, we're start, we'll go from point guard to center for my list. Number one's Jameer Nelson. 
legend of the program, helped build the program, and hopefully future head coach of the program, national player of the year, A-10 player of the year, when he was throughout his career averaged 21 points, uh, five rebounds, five assists, two steals, and and a field goal percentage of 50%. Guy was so good, one of the best players in our history probably, NBA Finals um, appearance with Dwight Howard with the Orlando Magic back in 2009. He's just an overall skilled point guard. And, you know, there are teams still today that are looking for Jameer Nelson to start for them um, as a journeyman. So he's a very important player in basketball for the Big Five and for the NBA, who has a lot of impact on teams still. Second is Delonte West. We all know what Delonte West is famous for, but I won't say it. Uh, height is 6'4". He scored 19 points a game, five rebounds, four assists. Uh, shot 51% from the field, had issues after playing in college with drugs and alcohol, unfortunately, but was a talented player, was one of the most dynamic backcourts in all of college basketball. That team was ranked number one at the final of the end of the year. They made it to the Sweet 16. Both Delonte and Jameer are near and dear to my heart as players and very important to the history of our program. Next is DeAndre Bembry, recent graduate, 2016, plays for the Atlanta Hawks right now. Gets some good starting minutes, but in his tenure at uh, St. Joe's, uh, beat, I believe it was Cincinnati, made us to the second round and almost upset number one overall seed Oregon. He led the team with uh, future uh, uh, teammate Isaiah Miles, who I'll mention later, um, averaged 18 points a game averaged four assists a game, was one of the better defenders, and that's what he was really known for. He could really guard a player, get a steal, fast break points, and was athletic, could jump out of the gym, and actually holds the record for the broad jump at St. Joseph's University. Next is Rodney Blake. He was 6'8", played from 1987 to 1988. Points was 18 points a game that year, eight rebounds, uh, led the nation in blocks, and shot 56% from the field. Pretty impressive. And then finally is Mike Bantam, 6'9". He would be my center from 1972 to 1973. Scored 20 points a game, 13 rebounds, and was uh, voted as an All-American in the NCAA. So of all those players, you have a National Player of the Year, two A-10 Players of the Year, one player that led uh, a whole entire category in college basketball, and an All-American. So, um, oh, my sixth man, of course. Isaiah Miles plays over in Turkey, I believe. Uh, was a great three-point shooter. Was a great power forward. Could really stretch the f- uh, stretch the floor. Hit some big shots in the tournament and in the A-10 tournament and the NCAA tournament. Helped win and bring that A-10 championship back in 2014 and 2016. So another vital player and deserving of a six-man role. And then finally, for my coach, it's the very famous Dr. Jack Ramsey, was a 1977 NBA, um, he won the 1977 NBA Finals with the uh, Portland Trailblazers, one of the great coaches, Final Four in his tenure at St. Joe's, really put the program on the map and, you know, led the way for other coaches like Jim Lynham, another famous coach, coach the Sixers, and, you know, Phil Martelli, an institution at St. Joe's. Jack, Dr. Jack Ramsey is what started it all for us, and so that's, uh, that's my starting five plus a six-man and a coach. Very good. good. Good job there, Tony. All right, well, it's time for the Villanova starting five. <laughs> We're going to go in order of position just like Tony did, and there's a lot, you know, a lot to choose from, I thought, from obviously a lot. A lot of generations, just like Tony had. These two very historic programs go all the way back to the early 1900s. So let's get started here. For Villanova, the point guard. This was actually a tough one because there's Randy Foy in the mix, who was absolutely unbelievable, 2,000-point scorer. There was Scotty Reynolds in the mix. But I think you have to go with Jalen Brunson, a two-time NCAA champion, a NCAA 
National Player of the Year, and quite simply, the doctor. The guy who just ran the show for this Villanova program for the last two years and was a young guy that played key minutes on the 2016 National Championship team. Jalen, as decorated as they come at the college level. And this is a guy who left after three years and still had tremendous, tremendous numbers at Villanova, got near that 2,000-point mark, an unbelievable assist-to-turnover ratio, and it's just tough to look past the NCAA Player of the Year, the Naismith Award winner and a two-time NCAA champion. At the shooting guard position, one of the 50 greatest NBA players of all time. That's Paul Arizon. He was also the NCAA Player of the Year in 1950. He was the scoring leader in the country and was an All-American, of course. A 10-time NBA All-Star and a three-time first-team All-NBA. I'm not going to focus too, too much as I go through this list on what happened at the NBA level. Now, of course, that's a part of the discussion. But from a pure college perspective, I think it would be doing Paul Arizon a disservice by beginning with his NBA accolades, even though they truly are unbelievable. His play in college, he led the entire country in scoring, averaged about 22 points a game over his career at Villanova, a national player of the year. And Paul Arizon, absolutely unbelievable. He's our shooting guard, and you love to have him on the floor at any given time. The small forward is Kerry Kittles. Kittles, a first-team All-American, the Big East Player of the Year, the all-time leading scorer at Villanova University, 2,200-plus points. He had that 10-year NBA career with the New Jersey Nets, but he was a guy that when Villanova was starting to come back, so you're talking about the in-between Rolly Massimino and Jay Wright years, when Steve Lapis was there, there were certainly struggles. Uh, he won the Big East Tournament with that Villanova team, and that's not something that they were able to do for a long time, really until the Big East changed back in 2013. Now they've won a couple after that point. But a Big East Player of the Year, as I mentioned, an All-American and the program's leading scorer, you love to have a guy like Kerry Kittles on your team. Next, Ed Pinckney. Ed Pinckney is going to be the only guy on this list that wasn't an All-American. However, Ed Pinckney was a two-time first-team All-Big East. He was the 85 most outstanding player in the NCAA tournament. And as you see on this picture here, Patrick Ewing is the guy that he was tasked with going up against an unstoppable force, the mighty Hoyas of Georgetown, who Villanova took down in the 1985 National Champion, the greatest upset in the history of college basketball, and it was Ed Pinckney giving about 40 pounds to Patrick Ewing and a couple inches that was able to keep him in check. He was able to put some buckets in the basket where it didn't look like it was going to happen, earned the most outstanding player, and in many ways was a key force in pushing Villanova to the heights that they were as they got into the early 90s. There was a little bit of a step back, and then, of course, Jay Wright came after the fact. But Ed Pinckney, nothing short of a Villanova hero. And finally, the center, possibly the greatest player in Villanova basketball history, Howard Porter, a three-time All-American the 1971 NCAA Tournament Most Outstanding Player. This is for a team that did not win the national championship. This is for a guy, you see in this picture, who's going over top of Bill Walton and gave that John Wooden team fits. 
And for all the folks that talk about that Georgetown-Villanova game, that was the last year before the shot clock and whether a Georgetown team uh, that had the benefit of a shot clock would have won that game? Perhaps. But if you're saying that, then you're going to also take a look at that 1971 game where Howard Porter could not be stopped. John Wooden went to the four corners offense early in the second half because they realized they couldn't stop Howard Porter. And that's how they squeaked away with that 1971 NCAA championship game. Howard Porter, even with the other team throwing four corners at him, scored 25 points in that game. The most outstanding player awarded uh, after that 1971 championship game. And then the sixth man, this was really tough. Josh Hart, a first-team All-American, the Julius Irving Award back in 2017 for the country's top small forward, the Senior Class Award, the top senior player in the country, a first-team All-American, as I mentioned, and the Big East Player of the Year. Josh Hart, a guy who won the Big East Sixth Man of the Year in just his sophomore year, well, he's the sixth man on the all-time Villanova basketball team. And then the coach, this was very, very difficult. Three coaches that I think really had the shot to win this. Jay Wright, Jack Kraft, and Roly Massimino. Roly Massimino for a long time was the only guy to win a national championship at Villanova. Jack Kraft had a longer tenure and put Villanova on the map and took that 71 team to the Final Four. And then you have Jay Wright, a guy who's still in the midst of his career. The story is not completed with him yet, but he's won two national championships. He's put Villanova on the map. He's overseen a program that has remained constant in a time of the conference being anything but. He's maintained the program in a changing college landscape, a small Catholic program where you have other programs like the bigger North Carolinas of the world, Michigans, etc., with the benefit of more revenue coming from higher conference contract dollars, more money going to the basketball program, and without the help of football, in this changing landscape, it's nothing short of amazing what Jay Wright has done. The two national champions, he is the best coach in Villanova basketball history. And that's our top five, plus a six man, and the coach Jay Wright. Jalen Brunson, Paul Arizon, Kerry Kittles, Ed Pinckney, Howard Porter, Josh Hart off the bench, Jay Wright in front of the bench. I'll go to war with those guys any day. All right, Kevin Long, thoughts? Yeah, that's a great top five, um, six man and coach. Uh, you know, the other thing I will say is, um, you know, your list didn't even include the, you know, possibly the best NBA player to ever come out of Villanova in Kyle Lowry. Obviously, he left after two years, uh, didn't make as great of an impact on Villanova as he did at the NBA level here. So uh, I agree with him not being on the top five, but uh, just another impressive guy that uh, came out of Villanova. Um, the other guy that I could potentially see on this list is Randy Foy. He brought this team up from, from where they were in the you know, middle of the 90s and early 2000s. You know, 2003, they, they weren't great. And uh, by you know, 2006, they were starting to make some runs and you know, starting to recruit a little better. And he really brought this, uh, this program up to a higher level. So you know, he and his teammates, Alan Ray and, and Curtis Sumter, those guys really did a nice job. Mike Nardi as well, who's still with the team. 
Uh, that Clack did a really nice job, but Randy Foy really stood out amongst those guys for me. Yeah, nobody in the 2006 Final Four team, nobody from the 2009 Final Four team. Uh, Jalen Brunson was just a, a young pup on the 2016 National Championship team. you got to make some tough decisions. Scotty Reynolds, the second leading scorer in program history, brought them to their first Final Four since 2000. Uh, yeah, since uh, 2000, I'm sorry, since 1985, I should say. The 06 team did not go to the Final Four, but those guys really turned the program around. Uh, Kevin, anybody, K Mack, that is, in Baltimore, any thoughts there? I mean, I can't believe Mike Nardi has left off this list. It's just <laughs> un- unbelievable. Um, is Jay Wright still in the hot seat for this team also? And uh, t- Tony didn't want to mention it, um, but Delonte West, I mean, we all know he had an affair with LeBron James's mom. So he didn't want to say it, but I need to say it. So those are my thoughts. Wonderful. A Charlotte Hornets hat and then that comment. All right, we'll see if we go back to you. Thanks again, Kev. Appreciate that. <laughs> Tony, what do you thought? What do you think about uh, either list, both lists? I just want to say, um, have you ever watched? A, you watch a Sixers game and they hold up the Wendy signs for the you missed the free throw. I want to go and hold up a Delonte West sign when the Lakers come to town. <laughs> I think that would be hysterical. We'd be on the internet, all, like it would blow up. I think that would be great. Um, two things. So I had Joe Lenardi on my show in mid October. For those who don't know, he works for ESPN, Mr. Bracketology himself, mm-hmm. and he said what Jay Wright has done. Quote. It's nothing short of a miracle. And I agree. The, the fact that the things you listed were, it's not a football program. It's the small Catholic school without the big state funding. It's you know it's a testament to Jay Wright, and I think he does deserve to be the coach of your all-time five when you have brought two, two titles in the landscape of what the NCAA is now, especially when you have Power Five conferences looking, and this is also something Joe Lenardi had mentioned, to pull away and create their own tournament. There is push for that, especially with the major networks. No one wants to see mid-majors unless it's the Cinderella story of Loyola Chicago. They think that those early games are trap games for programs that aren't ready to play. They believe that they are just superior because of the money that they have and that they can do it and they have this pull. And so I think Villanova is a testament and has shown that we need to keep all the schools involved. It's what makes the NCAA great. It's what makes college basketball great. It's not college football where we're arguing about five teams and the you know fifth guy's been left out. Everyone gets a shot. Every conference gets represented. And it's something that's great. And I think that's what Villanova has brought to college basketball for sure. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. Uh, you mentioned teams from big conferences, maybe it being a trap game not being ready to play hey i have an idea come ready to play exactly. I 100% <laughs> I mean, agree <laughs> you want to win a national championship come ready to play you want to talk about these two teams and how they might match up we talked i know in in the break after the whiteboard about uh, how we wanted to go about this after we dissected those two teams right um so one one uh correction for myself delante west was an all-american so i i have three all-americans on my starting lineup it's not as uh well, everyone on yours was an All-American, though, uh, Except for Pinckney. Okay. So I have three. You have four on your starting. Five. Because of the sixth yeah, six yeah. man. Okay, yep. I just didn't realize that. But, I mean, I listening to those players, for me, it's so easy to, like, add in the NBA career afterwards. But you can't. You can't. It's the college. What has been done throughout college, I it's close, I think, especially when you bring out the coaches. Um, you know, Dr. Jack Ramsey was able to do it at both levels. And mm-hmm. just because he didn't win a national title doesn't mean that – his ability to coach was any much worse. And I think that's the only part for me where I can make an argument that we might be a little more skilled at the at the coaching position is the only fact that he's done it at both levels. Final four appearance for St. Joe's, 
NBA Finals win for the Portland Trailblazers and their only win since then. Mm-hmm. So other than that, I think the personnel um, probably favor you guys, except for the the guard play. I, I think Jameer Nelson still has a as National Player of the Year and what he did as a undefeated team and beating Oklahoma State in the uh, in the uh, tournament is something that. I don't think anyone else on Villanova did because he led. He really did lead that team. There was no one else on it besides Delonte. Mm-hmm. The only thing I would say to that is I hear you, and those that's clearly the strength of St. Joe's there. Yep. Uh, our backcourt here, if you're Villanova, uh, has two national players of the year: yeah. Paul Arizon, Jalen Brunson, Naismith Player of the Year, Jalen Brunson, National Player of the Year for Arizon. I'm not saying they're better, but I think that. Uh, I think that you're not going to find many programs in general. Forget St. Joe's, Villanova. Not many programs in general that's going to have a backcourt on their top five that uh, you know that has two number one guys nationally in any given year. So I think uh, let's get your guys up one more time. I know we had them up there. So there's your top five. Here's Villanova's top five: Brunson, Arizon, Kittles, Pinckney. Yeah, and to your coaching point. Uh, I don't know if I'll agree about Ramsey being a, a better coach than Jay Wright, but I think that they're absolutely right there in the mix. And what I want to give you credit for is making the point about Ramsey not winning a national title and that not necessarily changing the narrative. I think that there are so many people out there with Jay Wright before 2016 that had this opinion of him when Villanova was struggling to get out of the second round. And it was NC State in a game where Villanova came out a little bit flat. And then it was UConn, a team that went and won the national championship, et cetera, et cetera, as the games continued to go on. And there was this narrative out there that Kevin McLernan, Kevin Long, I mean, we were talking Villanova basketball for a long, long time. And and I was defiant that that doesn't define Jay Wright and that this team is good enough to win the national championship. I still believe that the team with Darren Hilliard that lost to NC State was a better team than the team that won in 2016. I think the 2018 team was the best team in Villanova history, but I think the 15 team was better than the 16 team. So to your point there about Ramsey, I think it also applies to Jay. You know, if these two national championships were not in his hands right now, of course the narrative would be different, but it doesn't change the coach. The bounce of the basketball, if North Carolina goes to overtime and wins that game, I don't think that changes something. Right. Um, so Kevin McLernan, want to get your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why I, I kind of made the joke about Jay Wright still being on the hot seat. I mean, he it felt like everybody was talking about he should be fired for so many years until he won that national championship. And, I mean, he had been to the Final Four with Scotty Reynolds and them. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he 100% deserves to be that, the coach of the team. Um, like you said, the other two coaches, I mean, are definitely in the conversation. But I, I think Jay Wright's the right call. All right, Kevin Long, any thoughts before we move on to... Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, that's the beauty of the NCAA tournament and, you know, why it can be so difficult for teams like Villanova, right? You play so well throughout the year, you play hard to earn a number one or number two seed in the NCAA tournament, and that's really telling to what type of team you have. You've played over 30-plus games, you know what type of team you are, you've played a lot of different teams in a lot of different conferences, uh, and the beauty of the March Madness is it's one and done. You know, it's cutthroat. you got to show up every single night or you're done. You're going home. So, uh, you know, unfortunately for Villanova, that, that came up a bunch of times in the second round. But I agree with you, Bob. That didn't necessarily change my opinion on Jay Wright. The program was still headed in the right direction. They were having great years every single season. Um, and, you know, the fact that he's won a couple national championships definitely says a lot for his reputation moving forward. But, you know, in my mind, he's, he's always been a great coach. And, I, you know, I've always wanted to see him here at Villanova. 
Uh, a great show thus far. Appreciate everybody joining us here on the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long, Kevin Long, Tony Morelli here in studio. Kevin McClernand is down in Baltimore via Skype. He's our bear, and uh, I say that uh, because now it's time for trivia. So rather than bear on college game day giving everybody um, games to pick with the lines, we'll get to that at the end of the show. He has some trivia about St. Joseph's University and Villanova University, maybe about the rivalry, if we're lucky, if he did his job well. And uh, we're going to get his thoughts now. So, Kevin, it is time for you to quiz us. What do you got? Well, I mean, it's it's obvious, I mean, for fans like you guys, uh, to know the, the leading scorer all-time for each team. But uh, we'll start with Tony. Who's the second all-time leading scorer in St. Joe's history? The second all-time leading scorer. It has to be someone that was there for four years. I'm going to go Mike Bantam. He averaged 21 points. I, I feel like that he has, he's up there. Langston Galloway. Ah, uh, and someone I wanted to add to my list, but I think Isaiah Miles is just a better player. He's... Yeah, Langston, man, a ten, a ten winner, also yeah. solid play. He was yeah. great. He plays well great. now for the NBA. I don't know it as deeply as you do, but knowing, you know, just thinking about the options, I think he's right there with Isaiah Miles as well. You could flip that either way. Yeah, yeah they were both dynamic players. Yeah, I should have gotten that one. <laughs> I forgot about Langston. He finished 103 points behind Jameer Nelson all time. Okay, uh, so pr- pretty close. If they went further in the in the tournament, he could have passed them. Uh, so we'll go to Bob and Kev. Uh, who's the second all-time leading scorer in Nova history? Well, I think we said it already, or I did. Go for it. Oh, you think you said it already? I know that I said it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, now I don't feel as good about my guess because he wasn't on your list. Um, I'll, I'll go with it anyways. I'll let you pick your person. I'm probably wrong. Uh, I'll go with Randy Foy. Okay, no. I'll go with Scotty Reynolds. <laughs> Scotty Reynolds finished 21 points behind Kerry Kittle, so... Even one more game, and he could have passed them. Ah, man. Okay. Good start, Kev. Uh, We'll go back to St. Joe's. Uh, They've made one Final Four in their history. What year was it? I want to say it's 1958. 61, 1961. Close. The right? Hey, you got guys on the same 58 team that were there in 61. (laughs) I'll give you it. It's within that band. I'm not giving it to him. All right. Uh, well, you are the I purveyor, so. <laughs> and uh, so Villanova, what year was their first Final Four? First Final Four, I want to say 1971. 1939, Kev? 1939 is correct, yes. <laughs> that was the second one, though. That's close. Uh, Jameer Nelson, uh, Tony mentioned him. Uh, he is the highest drafted player in St. Joe's history, I believe. Uh, what pick was he drafted? And for extra points, what team? <laughs> oh, I don't know if I know the team. I want to say he was picked seventh or eighth. So he, he, I know he was not first or like in the top five. Um, team, uh, was it? I'm going to say, uh, I don't know. Random team, Denver Nuggets. Why not? I, I don't know what team he was drafted to. I don't think it was Orlando, though. <laughs> Uh, that is phenomenal that you got that team correct. Um, he was <laughs> drafted by the Nuggets and traded to the Magic right away. I had a feeling. Um, I had a feeling. But it was 20th overall, so 20th, a little, a little oh, later than you thought. That's surprising because Bembry was 23rd, so he was actually pretty close to changing that, 20, which is surprising. 21st. 21st 20, oh, wow, he's even closer. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would have expected uh, Nelson to be a little bit higher considering how, how great he was in college. 
but I guess that that small stature uh, maybe maybe dropped him a little. Yeah. Uh, what year did this is the, these are the final questions though, by the way that was the last St. Joe's one I had and uh, what year did Villanova join the Big East? Hmm. I'll go with uh, 1993. No, I mean they were in they, they were in when they won in '85. Was it the Biggies? Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's a bad. Guess. We'll give you another that's guess. A bad guess. <laughs> no, I don't deserve another guess. <laughs> Boy, this is tough here, Kev. This is tough. Um, thinking back to Dave Gavitt and. Hmm. Probably mid seventies, sometime or late seventies. I'll, I'll go with seventy eight. So you should have stuck with mid seventies, seventy five. Oh, yeah, that's a solid question there, Kev. And that's all I got for you guys. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. So it's time for pick 'em then. Uh, we'll end the show with this. And if there's any last minute trash talk that K Mac you have for Tony or Tony you have for us, uh, now's the time. Let's start with Kevin McClernand. Villanova, St. Joe's, and it's coming up this weekend. Who you got? I have Villanova. Uh, like I said, not as confident as I was before watching the LaSalle game. Um, I, I think they still win it, though. Uh, just overall uh, a more talented team, I think. Tony? I think this is going to be – there is going to be a lot of scoring. Um, the Hawk will never die, but <laughs> – I think it's 93-86. It's within 10 points, Villanova. I think there's going to be a lot of scoring. A lot. Yeah, Tony, I agree with you. I think there's going to be a lot of scoring in this one. Um, just like Kevin, I felt better about this team last week coming off that tournament win. Um, this week, not so much after that LaSalle win. That was really telling that this is going to be an up-and-down year for this team. Uh, I think they have enough to get it done over St. Joe's, but uh, I c could easily still see them losing this matchup. Okay, so I got Villanova as well. For whatever reason, we, in all the trash talk we were talking about, we haven't mentioned that Villanova is on a 23-game Big Five winning streak. Kevin McClernand, I can't believe that one of your questions wasn't, what's the second longest streak? What's the longest streak not named Villanova in Big Five play? Uh, or anything like that. But uh, Villanova's 23-game streak is nine more than Villanova had back in 2004 to 2007. Behind that, it's Penn with, uh, I believe, 12. Um, so can I, Villanova... I knew you would be looking up that, so why would I ask it? Great, great point. <laughs> great point. Thanks for that. I think Villanova wins the game. I don't know what the line... I, I guess the line isn't going to be out yet, but... Um, I think that it's going to be a close line. The other thing that I think we need to keep in mind, gentlemen, is that they, Villanova Wildcats, play Temple on Wednesday night, an 8.30 tip, and that's going to be really tough for Villanova. And I think they're going to have their hands full on a weeknight late game at the Finneran Pavilion, a game where a place where they've lost two of three since it opened. And I don't know that that's really a relevant fact, but I do think that Villanova is going to struggle with a team in Temple that has a little bit of size and also has some shifty guards. You could say the same thing about St. Joseph's. Big thing for Villanova, can they get back defensively? Can they score enough to set up the three-quarters court press? Because Temple and St. Joe's are very similar in the way that they want to run the basketball down the floor, want to create additional possessions. And uh, you know, the race to how many ever possessions you can get, I think, is in these programs' mind uh, – 
a blueprint for winning. So can Villanova maintain their ability on defense? It was not good enough against LaSalle. I think they win the game against St. Joe's, uh, and I'll call it a 10-point game. Should be a good one, though, and we're certainly looking forward to it. Tony, any any last thoughts? Uh, we um, just want to thank you for coming. It was, it's been awesome. Oh, yeah, I really appreciate it. I think we covered a lot of subjects that are important to this, this matchup and the history of the tradition. To your point about Temple playing Villanova, St. Joe's has to play Princeton, not an illustrious program, but Princeton is favored, so I am very concerned going into this matchup for this week. Um, so St. Joe's just got to be on the ball. They got to be focused. Um, th- this is a team that clearly doesn't look to be focused, being 4-4 four and four right now and losing games they shouldn't have, like William & Mary. But I think that outlook for this team is just one game at a time, and, you know, that's about it. I really appreciate you guys bringing me on here today. Absolutely. We mentioned, by the way, you say Princeton. Uh, Kerry Kittles is now a, a coach at, at Princeton, so you'll have some Villanova in the building you as go. you get yourself ready for, for Saturday. Great stuff, guys. Kevin McLernan, thanks for being on. We appreciate it as always. Oh, great time, guys. I mean, it's, it should be a good game. Uh, hopefully not. Hopefully Nova wins comfortably, but uh, I think it'll be closer than we like it. Kevin Long, thanks again for coming on. I hope this was a good time for you as well. Thanks for having me on as always, Bob. And Tony, hopefully this is not the last time we do this. Let's stay in touch. Let's continue to talk um, through the conduits of our two shows, but also just generally. You're, You're a good basketball mind, and it's been awesome having you on. Yeah, it was a great pleasure, and same to you. Awesome. That's Tony Morelli, our guest here on the Villanova Basketball Report. It's live on Bob Long Sports. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Bob Long Sports. And, of course, you can find the audio versions of all of these on SoundCloud as well. And until next time, enjoy the basketball, folks. We'll see you next Monday as we break down the first three games of Big Five play and prepare for that last one against Penn. Have a great evening, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon.